Welcome to Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. Now here's our mama. Hey y'all, welcome back to Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. You guys know our, my next two guests very well. They've been on the podcast before. They are friends of the pod, and I'm so excited to have them back, especially because they just, or they're just about to release their brand new book, How to Win the Bachelor. I have none other than the host of the incredible podcast, Game of Roses. Lizzie and Chad are here with me. Yay! <laughs> Hi, Thank guys. Hi. Thanks Hello. For us. Thanks for having us back. Of course cozy once more getting cozy again i'm so honored that you guys have returned to my cozy space here we gotta jump right in i mean and if you guys don't know who they are go check out their podcast it is incredible they've had some amazing guests they have some incredible insight on the past seasons the current season you guys are killing it seriously i look forward to your podcast every single week multiple times a week you guys have two or three episodes a week now Two and a half, technically. We do two every week and then an extra episode every other week that you can get on our Patreon. Okay, so two and a half episodes a week. How do you guys pull that off, by the way? I mean, I struggle to do one a week. Like, how is it that you guys can be uh, so regular with it? It's, uh, it's so impressive, I honestly. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to even answer that question. It just... It started out like doing, you know, our first episode was in the middle of Hannah Brown season and it was maybe like 45 minutes long. And then I just started getting compulsive and crazy about making them longer and making music for them. And once I kind of latch into creating anything, I will, I like to do as many iterations as I can until I can perfect what I feel like the format of it is. And at a certain point, we reached a format where we were doing one episode a week that was like three hours long. And then we decided we should cut that into two and split it up into like we do one game breakdown <laughs> or a recap as it's more traditionally known. And then we do mm-hmm. uh, one episode that's an hour long. That's kind of the news of the week. And and then every other okay. week we do a Patreon episode, which is like bonus content. Sometimes we do what we call digging deeper, where we sum up the most important clips from that couple weeks in the Bachelor Nation podcast space. I love that. And you guys are so good because you tease like 15 or 20 minutes of it or like maybe even less. And you're just like, oh, I got to hear the rest. I got to I got to get the, the whole thing, you know, the whole episode. Though. That sure. is genius. <laughs> we do what we can. They are very smart. The gong noise at the end to be you're cut off from the free <laughs> the gong the noise. Paid content. I love it. It works. It works. It definitely, you know, ropes us in. Leaves us wanting more. All right. So we got to get into this book. This book is unbelievable. I binged it in a day and a half. I could not stop reading it. And you guys know I'm a busy woman. Yes, indeed. I have to say, by the end of this book, I could win The Bachelor. We'll coach you. Like, I... Are you ready? (laughs) That's great. I mean... My husband of 10 years might have an issue with it, but you know. Right. Uh, hey, why not, right? So I just, incre- just, I keep saying incredible because honestly, like I'm so blown away by the amount of work this took. So let's let's talk about the hyper binge. Who had the idea to do <laughs> the hyper binge, which if you guys don't know, the hyper binge for this was basically watching all 25 seasons of The Bachelor yeah. at two times the speed, which... yeah. Did you start hearing other things at that speed? I feel like if you're <laughs> like watching a show for that long, everything else is going to sound weird to you, right? Oh, yeah. Trying to watch any show after that mm-hmm. at regular speed just felt like it felt like you were drunk, at least to me. 
it was like i can't i can't even do this anymore now i've kind of that effect has worn off a little bit but i don't remember exactly if it was like the idea could be attributed to either one of us specifically we just knew that once we we wrote a proposal for the book and once that proposal was purchased by a publisher it was like well shit now we have to actually know everything that's ever happened in order to create these statistical models okay. and so we were kind of delusional in the beginning like oh we can just find somebody to do the stats for us and they can look through all this shit you know Gosh. and it was then we quickly realized like no we have to do all of this yeah and so we you know through the help of grace ann parks who works for us at game of roses she's our social media and merch person she does yeah. everything for us she's fantastic with her help we were able to find seasons two through seven which we dubbed the dark seasons and Amazing. those were kind of like those were very difficult to find, but we had to have them for these statistics. So once we got all the seasons together, we strung them up in order, and we just spent about 10 hours a day for two and a half months, roughly, just blazing through all this, typing down into spreadsheets and notes documents wow. every play that's ever been made, every tear shed, every kiss, every glow, every PTC, IFI. These are terminologies that we've created to describe, like a PTC is a personal tragedy card. That's when a player will tell the lead usually on a one-on-one -on -one dinner you know whatever kind of bad thing has happened in their life and what they've learned from it and ifi is an injury fear or illness play that is when sometimes a player will really get injured sometimes they'll fake it sometimes you know whatever but the outcome is generally the same it forces the lead to kind of like halt the proceedings of a group date if you use it correctly and then they will have to come over and talk to you for some one-on-one -on -one time so that's just kind of tip of the iceberg but we recorded each of those iterations through the entirety of the I first think at 25 the beginning, seasons. We, we didn't do the math, right? Because we were originally going to watch it on one time speed. And we were like, I think it'll take us about a month. And then my sister was like, you should watch it on two times speed. I was like, that's a great idea. Maybe we'll finish in half a month. But the actual <laughs> amount of hours of all these seasons, you know, except for season one, which is like one hour, six episodes, but they get into like, two sometimes three hour episode and 13 episodes seasons it yeah. uh it was a lot and I'm not sure that we could have done it if it wasn't deep COVID where we had not a lot of other stuff going on Chad and I are both TV writers and TV productions had shut down basically so I think a lot of events came together and there was no bachelor yeah, it was like a perfect storm of, you know, just yeah. perfect timing. You were able to just kind of dive deep as you do. And we thank you. Because, well, I thank you personally. I just, <laughs> as, as a huge super fan, you know, as a super yeah. fan of the show, <laughs> I, I watched in season one. But my God, that was a yeah. long time ago. You know what I mean? For real. I mean, that's really wow. what the hyper binge was for us was it was not only the ability to go back in history and see the structure of the game and how certain things were treated in terms of all kinds of social mores and, you know, even phrases that were used and stuff right. that are no longer in use today. Yeah. But it really was like, especially because we watched it on two times speed, it was like seeing the, the game evolve in time lapse. Yeah. You really became acutely aware of uh, just production techniques or uh, how they would start to, pin rivalries how they would start to like sow the seeds of that and you start to see some of the first limo exits or you know like we didn't even know for example the first impression rose you might think has been there from the beginning but it didn't come into the game until season five and even then it was presented in strange ways and they still were experimenting with how to present it to people there was one season where i believe it was season 10 
uh, The Bachelor was forced to give the first impression rose to somebody immediately as they came out of the limo. So it was sitting on a little pedestal next to him in front of the mansion. So they did all these weird experiments with it until finally landing on the host walking out with it on a wooden or metallic platter and setting it on the group table in the room where all the players get super anxious when they see it and all that. Wow. Yeah. The evolution that came from reading this book. I mean, like I said, I've, I've watched every season except for funny enough, your favorite, oh, bachelor. My favorite bachelor. I never saw his season. <laughs> Charlie O'Connell. Well, I don't know. Uh, you Cruise have often to see that season. Nick Vial. I think Charlie O'Connell was the most entertaining. Bachelor. Oh, for sure. Because he dismissed the kind of circumstance of the show. He thought, ah, this is just some crazy show. I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. He did away with things like date cards. He would just call the players on a telephone in That's this loft wild. that they were all in together. Because this also took place in New York City. Yeah. The only season, obviously, to do so. And he just kind of circumnavigated all of the the circumstance of the show. Like, the That's things crazy. the producers wanted him to do. He just didn't do it. <laughs> including the, the finalists... In the final episode, instead of selecting one of them, he just tells production, I'm going to need to date both of them for a few more months. <laughs> and he just does that. They, they allow it. And then he finally makes the decision at the live after the final rose. It was that season is really bananas in terms of like if you want to just see something like torn apart, flipped upside down, that is the season for you. And that to me is like I agree. It's one of my favorite seasons for sure, because there's just never going to be something like that again. Yeah. Instead of limo exits, also, they had, he did a two-minute speed date with everyone at the beginning Ooh, of the season. that's smart. And then had to dismiss people right after. That's actually very smart. I think, you know, as a dating coach, I think speed dating is actually a very, very good way to get a, a good gauge, you know, on a, on a person mm. if they're a good match. So that's very smart yeah. of him. I think that was, that was genius, actually. So how can I watch this season? Because now I'm very invested after, like, reading your notes and... I mean, you know, I think each person has to go on their own dark journey to find these seasons, okay. whoever they can. That's all I can say. <laughs> all right, all right. We were DMing old players from all of these old seasons. We scoured the earth in order to find them. It was tough. Grace Ann Parks was in communication with a library in Australia to try to ship them. Wow, that's amazing. It was Grace Ann is, yeah, she's, she is, she's incredible. Kelly Joe Higgins. Did you guys talk to Kelly Joe at all? Did she used to be Kelly Joe Kohersky? Yes, yes. Her, her last name used to be Kohersky, right? Yep. Okay. She was on Bob Guinea's season, had the first night one kiss of all time. Yeah. We never did she talk to her now. Okay, no. so she's coming on the pod. And so I'm really excited to talk to her about like meeting Oprah after the show and like how, you know, media was so huge at that time. And she was like on Ellen and, um, you know, she was supposed to be the Bachelorette, actually. So she has a really interesting story. I didn't know she was supposed to be the Bachelorette. That's crazy. Yeah. And so Meredith Phillips became Bachelorette, uh, you know, got the crown over her. But so I can't wait to hear her story. Mm. That's going to be really interesting. How different her life might have been. Exactly. Right. I know. Yeah. yeah. She was really good. I thought she was going to win the ring. She had a great mm-hmm. personality. She was she was sending me clips of mm-hmm. the season back then, you know, because you're right. It's really hard to find. I was dying. Some of these clips were hysterical. I'll repost them, you know, when I have her on the, yeah, on the yeah. show. But, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm really excited for that. Because Bob Guinea's season was outrageous. I mean, just wild. Yeah. It was the first season of what we dubbed the experimental era. Just like other yeah. professional sports have the different eras like in baseball, you have uh, 
what was classically known as the live ball era, which I believe just ended two years ago, where they actually changed the way the ball is made. So home runs would go oh. further and more people would hit home runs and stuff like this. There's obviously the steroid era and et cetera, et cetera. But we break <laughs> uh, The Bachelor down into these different eras as well. Season one through three mm -hmm. is the classic era where the format of the game doesn't really change for those first three seasons. It's 25 players. It's very fair group dates. After night one, there are 15 players left and they send them on three group dates of five. So right. everybody's guaranteed time. Then once you get into season four, you start to see the first real experimentation. Bob Guinea was the first uh, lead, the first bachelor to be taken from a bachelorette season. He had the first kisses on night one. He had the first night one curveball when they brought his mom into yeah. night one <laughs> to meet all the players, which was pretty funny. He had yeah. the first twins come out of a limo on his show. He had a, a predecessor of a group date rose really for the first time, which was kind of the inverse. Dark Lord Harris or Chris Harrison, sorry, we call him Dark Lord Harrison. He showed up to hand out these four white roses to four of the five players on the first group date that season. And if you didn't get a white rose, you went home. So that's kind of how they started to mess with um, group date roses. There were a bunch of interesting firsts in that season that the producers really were trying to like see what they could do, how far they could push things. I do hope we get our own steroid era for the match. <laughs> I or think like we've had it. <laughs> right, I or mean, like a cocaine era. I feel like there's probably yeah. one of those, right, at some point. That was seasons one through three, or maybe <laughs> one through ten, or maybe one through twelve. I mean, yeah. But I, I would argue one that the, uh, the performance-enhanced era, at least on Bachelorette, like, come on. There's a bunch of those dudes doing what they got to do to get swole. Yep. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, a fun fact, first Bachelor person that I ever met was Andrew Firestone. Oh, wow. Yes, because, you know, oh, I live in San Francisco. Nice. So I was uh, mm. I was affiliated with like a winery and, and he was there and it was after his season. So, of course, everybody knew him and recognized him and everything. He was like a big frat guy. Like I remember him having a glass of beer in his back pocket. Like nice. he literally put his his glass in wow. his back. I was like professional. This is if anything was more frat boy, I don't even know what it would be like. That was so. Yeah. It just totally made me think, like, this guy doesn't take life seriously at all. He's just having, you know, he's living his best. Like, he doesn't care what That's people think of him. That's beer drinker. <laughs> He'll wet his pants. Very yeah. handsome. He's Very living. handsome. He was flirting with oh. literally everyone. It was unbelievable. I'm like, sure. you are such a flirt. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it was fun. So it's kind of fun to look back and say, like, that was the first Bachelor person I ever met, you know? Kind of crazy. Yeah. It's definitely aging me, but that's okay. I'm okay, I'm okay with it. Dang. I'm okay with it. Who was your first one, Chad? The first Bachelor person I ever met? Nick Vial. You were there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who was yours? That's true. I was there. <laughs> he wasn't memorable, was <laughs> Yeah, he? he was probably mine, too. <laughs> oh, wait. No. <laughs> no, I went to the Women Tell All for Sean Lowe's oh, season. Yeah. So Sean Lowe was the first Bachelor person I met. Okay. So I have a question nice. about Sean Lowe's season. I do not remember him giving out 12 first impression roses. Mm -hmm. Technically, it was 13. Yeah. That he is gave one wild. out to Tierra Lacazzi. She won the, the actual first impression rose. Okay. And then the producers came out and gave him another dozen. And so he just was like handing them out left and right, basically. But then they also still had a rose ceremony for whatever it would have been five or six other players that's so weird like i wonder why yes. they thought yeah it didn't work they never repeated right it. yeah right. exactly that's so strange it would have been interesting and if they had repeated it 
Yeah. And technically, Charlie O'Connell had two first impression roses because in that speed dating thing in season seven, they let him give two roses to two separate players uh, in that experience. So tech, I don't I don't know if you count those as first impression roses. They didn't yeah. call them that. They just said, and you'll be able to give two. They don't call them players, obviously. And you'll be able to give two women these roses and they'll get to stick around. So it served the same function as a first impression rose. Yeah. It came in the same spot in the order of gameplay, but. They were not called Fimp Roses at that Which time. Which one was the earrings? Was that season 10? Yes, I think so. Season 10, Andy Baldwin, he gave out a Fimp Rose, and you also got to keep <laughs> these fancy earrings with yeah. it. There was like a prize. I didn't try that, that again either. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. Well, I love, I, I love that you know you guys have said like the first few seasons were very innocent, and they're more kind of just – making it all about the romance and you know all the, mm. the the fairy tale right so what do you think was the catalyst yes. that sh- where it changed from we don't want to you know promote a romantic relationship with the lead and and another you know woman mm. we want to actually make it much more anxiety causing and traumatic and dramatic and when do you think that changed i think it was a player in season okay. 3 named Tina Panis, who is more commonly known as Tina yes. Fabulous. She, I think, really was the first kind of reality star in the game where it was like when she was on screen, you were watching for her. And because of her, you didn't really care if she fell in love. In fact, you kind of knew she wasn't falling in love. That This was like a game to her. And she was just kind of mugging for the camera and playing the second audience, playing the third audience, really playing the fourth audience in a way that no one had before. Okay. For, we, we break the game down into four audiences The first that all players play to. The first audience is the lead. Second audience is the other players. Third is the producers. Fourth is us at home. And she became a celebrity in her own right having nothing to do with how far... I mean, she did make it kind of far in the game. She made it to uh, Fantasy Suites, but it didn't have anything to do with that. It was that she was electric. She was a real personality. And I think when the producers saw that and saw how she vaulted into celebrity because of it, they were like, oh, this is what the show is. We need to get crazy personalities and get them involved in crazy situations. And then once they started really in the experimental era toying with like, what can you do with a first impression rose? What can you do with these group date roses or one-on-one roses or all of those different roses that came in that experimental era, they started to see like, this is how you get somebody to cry immediately. They started to see that if you, for example, put Bob Guinea as the bachelor, all the players showed up already knowing who he was because they saw him on the season. So they had fallen in love with him to some degree parasocially. So all of the kind of trepidation and the timidness of like, oh, we need to see who this guy is. And if we like him, that's gone immediately. They're there and they're like, Let's get this on. And that's how you have the first kiss of night one is Bob Guinea. Absolutely. I would argue that the escalation really came in season five. You have your first villain in season one, Mm -hmm. Rhonda Rittenhouse, who shoots a gun off a boat. (laughs) She's, uh, she says that she's, here for what did was she not here to make friends or yeah, I'm not, here, not to make... here for the right reason she was did yeah. one of originated one of those and season five you introduce the first impression rose you have a mole in the game who is a player who is not an actual yeah. contestant she was jesse's jesse palmer's friend who told him what was going on with people in the house and you really have the formation of the first true villain I would say which is Trish Schneider and they allow her to dominate the whole season 
they allow her to perform the first resurrection where she's been kicked off and she's allowed to come back, interrupt Mandy J. Jeffrey's fantasy suite date and slip Jesse Palmer a hotel room key where she will be waiting, hoping that he's going to leave her and come back with his fourth place player. And that was all orchestrated by the producers. The producers are obviously manufacturing all of it. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Lizzie, that that season was the one where they were like, okay, let's see, like, how far we can push this thing. How can, how crazy can we make it, basically? Now, how many resurrections have there been? Because the only other ones I can think of are, like, Alea in Peter's season. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of mm-hmm. any. There was a woman on one of Brad Womack's seasons who went home night one and then convinced him to have him keep her for another mm. week. Okay. But then she went home. I forget what her name was. Yeah. So yeah. it's not that successful, but you know what? Um, on Bachelorette, Ed actually came back into the game. He had left to say he had to go back to work on Jillian Harris. Sorry, Ed. I was on like, Jillian Harris's season. I was like, wait, <laughs> Ed, like, the race bright? Like, no way. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. We're going way back. If you guys are listening and you want to go on this show, I mean, this is the way to win. Like, this is a literal handbook. You guys have just outlined it so beautifully, and it's written so well. It is so well written. Oh, thank you. Honestly. It's so easy to read. It's so enjoyable. It's such an enjoyable read where, you know, you look at this, and it could have been a very, like, textbook you know stuffy like you guys make it so funny and just irreverent you know it's 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 awesome it's an awesome read for sure i'm glad that you finished it so fast because our first draft was a lot more textbooky (laughs) and we definitely uh tried to make it more fun we were like um we've kind of lost the lost the train of thought here people are not going to want to go this in depth it appeals to so many different people i think you know as readers because it does have the technical aspect you know you do have the percentages Mm -hmm. and that but that to me is fascinating you don't talk about that too much you just kind of gloss over it but but we get an understanding of wow like you know 30 percent of the cast was not white and that kind of thing so we're going to get into all the racial things um which i really appreciated the last Mm -hmm. chapter about that i think that was incredible Mm -hmm. to have that in there it was so smart because it really does touch on you know what we're currently seeing in the franchise and so i'm really Mm -hmm. glad you guys did that but i think that one of the most shocking things especially for me thinking that i know it the show pretty well is that i didn't realize that on night one the bachelor really doesn't get to choose anyone who stays except for one or two people right yeah that's at least what we've come to understand through different podcasts and things we've heard i mean as i'm sure you know you become a repository of off the record information, yes. you know, from whoever is telling you stuff. It's like, I'll tell you this, but I can't say this. On the show. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've all just come to understand, but even on the record stuff, many podcast people have even like Nick Vial has talked about knowing Vanessa Grimaldi was going to win the ring on night one. Right. And so the rest of it is just the producers arranging stuff. And we've yeah. gotten information that basically says leads don't even choose the first impression rose they rarely choose group date roses all of that is orchestrated by the producers i had no idea i mean I, I felt like the lead definitely has more input than they did so that was very eye-opening to see um and i'm sure that's a lot of the nda stuff yeah. right that they just can never talk about because totally that would just it yeah. just blows the game up completely i mean if you think about it right well it reveals that it is a game and the yeah. whole point of the show is lying about the fact that it's not 
when it very clearly right. is. And especially now in this era where you have social media capabilities so that you can, really it's a platform to become an influencer. And that is the prize of the game. It's how far you can make it in the game and what kind of impression you can make on the fourth audience determines how much money you could be making for the next, I mean, some for some people, the rest of their lives. Caitlin Bristow has turned this into an industry that I think she will be making money off of for literally ever. Nick Vial has done something similar. What about Blake? He's a successful DJ, you know, and and he's sure. jumped off from right from the franchise. He's playing at Stagecoach. Exactly, it came full circle. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's it's, awesome. No, it's unbelievable. I'm so impressed with what he's done post show. So as far as the manipulation of the producers, you know, we mm. saw it steadily increase over the seasons, right? In your opinion, what was the worst? that you saw the worst manipulation from the producers that was just either overt or covert, but you know, something that you just were like, I can't believe that they would do that. You know, I don't know. There's so many to choose from. (laughs) God, I would say for me, Peter Weber season 24, when he is on the date with Victoria Fuller and they go to a concert and the concert is Chase Rice and the producers knew that that was somebody (laughs) that she had had a romantic relationship with not that long ago. And they just threw her into that. I mean, that was insane to me. I would say what they did in Matt James's season by bringing five new players in right in the middle of the season to, I think, purposely separate them into groups and have there be an adversarial relationship between the people who got there first and the people who came second. I think that was obviously terrible. I would say purposely casting Lee Garrett on Rachel Lindsay's season, terrible. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that they do that is clearly antithetical to the idea that they're trying to help anyone find love. They don't actually care about that. They are trying to make people have nervous breakdowns on television and put these players in situations that are just like emotional and psychological minefields. And that really is the skill of the game or one of the best skills is learning how to manipulate the producers to get them to do what you want. Because if you can do that, you wind up or, you know, if you just play like a hardcore company man game like Grocery Store Joe, (laughs) they will start to give you benefits. They're going to help you get a million Instagram followers. They're going to let you host one of their official Warner Brothers podcasts. And all you have to do is keep telling the lies they want you to. That is one way to play the producers for sure. Yeah, for sure. The two that come to my mind are when they flew Becca Kufrin's ex out to, where were they, Peru? Maybe where she had her fantasy sweet date with Ari. The next morning, they have her ex try to win her back. And also something, a practice that I guess they're continuing of season 24 for the first time, them having the top three players on Peter Weber's season all stay in the same hotel room during fantasy suites week. That is brutal. Or even in in, uh, season 23, they flew Cassie Randolph's dad to wherever they were having their fantasy suites. I was to just literally, about to say. He interrupted the that fantasy suite. Yeah. They had their day portion, and then she was going to get ready for the night portion. Her dad knocks on the door and convinces her to like abandon this entire thing. That's done by the producers. And I think still, for whatever reason, there are, I believe, most of the audience who's watching this at home doesn't see that element of it. They think like, oh, dad just showed up or <laughs> booked a flight on his own or whatever. <laughs> it's like, no, everything you're yeah. seeing in this show is because the producers allow it to happen or want it to happen. We were even talking about uh, today on our show in the most recent episode of Bachelor from this season, Cassidy Timbrooks at that kid's birthday party. Say what you will about all of her villainy. When she's bringing out that birthday cake, oh. 
that kid hits it out of her hand. Producers told him to do that. Oh, we've, we've reviewed the footage. Wow. Like 100% that kid knocks it out of her hand. Producers had to have told that kid to do it. That kid's a, a paid actor. Wow. That is not shocking. I, I feel like. Yeah, <laughs> I recognized shocking, him. But... He did my friend's pilot. Really? Yeah. That's He's a wonderful actor. Eli Kaplan. <laughs> <laughs> but he did take down the cake. He sure did. <laughs> but they but they did let it look like she did that on purpose cuz I felt like she laughed afterwards or she had mm-hmm. a big old grin on her face, right? Mm-hmm. Saying yeah. f this party. Yeah, she played with the frosting. Was yeah. like, "Let's go to the pool to wash off." Oh, I mean, she definitely man. leaned hard into like a traditional villain playstyle, but I'm just saying like those it's even those little things or you have to look at the show of like a circumstance. How could this even be possible? Everything you're looking at in the show, you have to look at through the lens of producers are manufacturing all of this for some purpose, including the edit, by the way. And you have to be very uh, careful to listen to what people are saying, because as we know, Frankenbiting exists. They will put Mm -hmm. words in people's mouths that they never said or cut it out of order. The general level of control they have in terms of producing basically propaganda for whatever narratives they want to be uh, shown at this point is very crazy to me even on bachelor of paradise what, what we saw them do to uh, ivan hall where they planted a, or we believe they planted a phone in his room yeah so that he could find out you know where whoever was staying none of this is happening organically and so the producers at this mm-hmm. point have like tried to lock down complete control and not giving people cell phones and stuff like that is all part of it as well yeah i don't know what the worst one is those are just some of the most recent ones that kind of come to mind yeah. <laughs> They're all bad. <laughs> That's the bottom line. They're all bad. The cake was the worst one. Yeah. <laughs> champagne gate. Oh, champagne gate. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, there was gift. There were gifts, gifts. I always say that wrong. Immortalizing her in, a, <laughs> in, in Bachelor mm-hmm. history, right? For sure. If you had to look back at previous seasons, including this current one is fine, who would you say would be someone that you think you know who really looks at this as a true game that and played it as a true game like literally she could have written that book herself like that that kind of like deep intense like play of the game madison pruitt i would say maybe hannah sluss those are the two first professional players i think that ever existed i don't know if they're aware of how good they are at the game but i think just by virtue of like they were kind of the, I think, of that generation that grew up watching the show from basically infancy. Yeah. And so it's imprinted in them. They know the rhythms of the game. Hannah Sluss famously said a thing we call Sluissian Protocol when Madison <laughs> Pruitt was trying to play a uh, personal virginity ultimatum against Peter Weber. Mm-hmm. And Hannah Sluss is talking to her and like she said, this is madness. We <laughs> knew what we signed up for. Meaning, we understand the structure of the game. Mm -hmm. We understand that Fantasy Suites is the last round of playoffs, and we understand what is expected of us or what could possibly happen during those Fantasy Suites. So that just kind of like intrinsic understanding of the format of the game, I think exists in all players now. But I do think like, I would go back to Tierra Lacazzi. I think she was like, she knew what she was doing. All of that was kind of manufactured. I would say Crystal Nielsen is a strong like player of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, you, You see it like coming out every once in a while in all players too i forget what season this was I, it might have been a bubble season was it matt james where all the players gathered around outside to see the fireworks and somebody said oh we know what that means she that got matt a rose james. yeah matt james on yeah. three's one-on-one date 
Yeah. I, yeah. The one that yeah. instantly comes to mind for me is not Bachelor. It's Bentley Williams, who was on Ooh. Ashley Hubert's Bachelorette season. Yes. Who all of his ITMs were like, I hate Ashley, but I'm still going <laughs> with this. That's right. That's <laughs> right. We actually named our dog Bentley after that guy. <laughs> we totally did. <laughs> a beautiful homage <laughs> to a sociopath. Just kidding, I don't know. <laughs> I had never heard that name before. And I mean, this was way before I was even married, but I thought in my head, I'm either going to name my son Bentley or my dog. And we went with, mm-hmm. with the dog. So Bo Bentley, that's his name. Yeah. As, yeah, as nice. an homage. <laughs> so what I love too about the book and for the listeners, I want you guys to know how well like the chapters flow. You know, we start from... The limo exits and go to you know night one and and all of that and it's just so beautifully laid out oh and preseason of course yeah mm-hmm. preseason fundamentals we tried to mirror it after like how a, a season moves you know so this is yeah. like if you are going into the game this is kind of the order you would need to do things and what you should be expecting at every uh, point during the game right. and when you need to start like looking for friends or forming teams or all that kind of stuff and um but again it's not like this is for more than just somebody who's thinking about playing the game. It's for okay. anybody who watches The Bachelor. Okay. Because I think it gives okay. you a, a much deeper understanding of what the, the thing is you're actually watching. And it gives you a new and more engaged way to watch the show. And we think it's a more fun way. I mean, we Definitely. can't watch the show any other way now because it's boring if you're not yeah. watching it like we are as a sport and looking for, yeah. you know, steals and tears and IFIs and all the different plays that are, that are possible within our beloved game. Definitely. Yeah, I'm glad you said and that. And if you want to follow along, we have a scorecard at yes. the end of the book, which is which you can use and follow all the plays and keep track of the different players throughout the season. I love that. I love that you included that. That's awesome. The other thing that you included that I really loved was an experimental strategy. So something <laughs> I, I love that so much. That was probably one of my favorite parts of the whole book, actually, because it was something uh-huh. that's never been done, right? And so how did you guys come up with that? You're just watching, thinking, oh, if this person had done this or, you know, just your mind was just going creatively. Are you referring to a specific one? I think we had a few. Just in general, like how did you come up with them? Just by watching and it just kind of came to you? Pretty much. We're always trying to like break the game and stuff, you know, and it's like, oh, well, why wouldn't they do this in this situation? And let's just say this. Season 26 is the first season that has like professionally coached players in it. And that professional coach is me. Yes. And so all the stuff that's in that book, I've used it to train players who are now using those things (gasps) in the game. Will we see some experimental strategies? I cannot say. But those things to me are like, uh, those are things I want to see. Because I'm like, the game hasn't seen anything like this yet. How would the game handle it? What would producers do if, for example, like one of the experimental strategies is if you get the pretty woman date, which is the date where the bachelor takes you out to go shopping and you get a dress and diamond necklace, you know, all this stuff. And you get to then come back to the mansion. Your arms are just full of bags of shoes and dresses and stuff. And all the other players get jealous. Well, what if you walked in and you sat down and you said, hey, I'm going to keep this necklace, but. Any one of us could have had this date, and I want to share it with all you guys because you're my sisters. So here, please look through all these clothes, all these shoes, whatever fits you, whatever you want, you take it. I'm sharing this with you. If a player did that, it would break the 
really what that date is designed for is to make all the other players jealous yep. of that player yeah. so that it can form rivalries and, and get people, you know, the, the feathers ruffled. And if you immediately get rid of that component of it, it actually becomes the super benefit to you, I believe, in that it bolsters your second audience game. It's going to get back to the first audience. They're gonna, somebody's going to tell The Bachelor you did that. It's going to bolster that game. The producers are going to be like, oh, she came to play, and they're going to know that you're going to do interesting stuff on camera. And then the fourth audience, us, we're going to love this because we've never yep. seen anything like it. Right, right. Okay, so I just want to reiterate what you said, Chad, just, just so we're yeah. clear. What you said is in this current season that you can confirm there are players that have been coached that are in the current season, like – now as we're watching on tv i don't think there's going to be a season from 26 forward that doesn't have a coached player in it wow by you i just can't imagine that that's what you're saying by there you maybe other people doing it too at some okay, point i okay. think i'm the only person doing it right now but who knows this book's coming out feel free use it become a coach <laughs> some of the players have been trained like hannah godwin yes. trained hannah ann sloss right. we had raven gates trained tia booth so people who are friends right. and people often reach out to people who have done it before to get coaching. Right. Yeah. To my knowledge, though, I'm the first person to take someone from completely outside the game, having no connections to any other players and help them through the entire process of getting on the show, developing a strategy for them that lasts a full season, all that kind of stuff, you know. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever said this before anywhere else? We've been talking about it a little bit, yeah, hinted. on our show and stuff. We've hinted at it. To me, it's fascinating. I mean, that's really what, when Lizzie and I first started watching this show, that was like a fantasy of ours. Like, what would it be like if we could get somebody to go into the game and play it purely yeah. as a game, and then at the end of the game say, I played this game, I beat this game, and that's yeah. why I came here. Because that, to us, is what it was. That's like the lie of the show is that it's not a game, when it clearly is. Right. And, uh, you know, in some way, I feel like, our podcast, this book, everything we've really done over the past two years has been in service of that bigger goal of like, okay. can we infiltrate this game? Can we get some pieces on the chessboard and start moving them around? And so now that's kind of the, the next version of what we're doing. Oh my gosh, I'm literally giddy. Like I, I didn't know that, that you had actually, you know, been coaching someone on the show. Like, oh my gosh. Now, of course, it's like my job to figure out who that person is and I'm going to be. <laughs> you'll, that, never... You'll, you'll never tell us, right? But I will never say it'll it. be hard to tell because uh, there's, you know, early seasons, you have players who are winging it, you know, right. they'll get too drunk on night one or something like that. No one's yeah. doing that now. Everyone is prepared. That's true. That's a good point, actually. You know, if I've done my job properly until that player reveals it, I don't think anybody, any of these players, like you're not going to be able to tell just because it's such a high level professional play at this point. Yeah. It's uh, and wow. there's too much to lose. There's too much at stake because the goal again of this game is to get somebody through it and come out with at least a hundred or 200,000 Instagram or TikTok followers yeah. so that they can then become an influencer. That's the goal of the game. And yes, maybe you fall in love along the way and that's fine too. Or maybe you have a relationship with some other player for a year or two years and then it dissolves, whatever. Yeah. All of that's, possible to happen and i'm not discounting any of that but my yeah. primary motivation on the record chad believes in love oh love that i believe in it as a concept uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i'm just saying that you know to me the interesting thing about this game like trying to beat the game really is to get somebody to come out of it and be like a powerful influencer within the 
within Bachelor Nation, maybe even land them on a company podcast. Oh. That would be very interesting to me as well. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. Speaking of company podcasts, did you guys notice that Tasha is no longer affiliated with Clickbait? Happy Hour or Happy Hour? I didn't notice either. They're yeah, both are gone from Who's... her bio. No. Interesting. Uh, no affiliation hmm. whatsoever. Any any thoughts on that? I don't know what happened. I have a theory, which is that maybe they'll have her be the Bachelorette round two. That's what I was thinking. Ooh. That's what I was thinking. But but would they take her Ooh. off the podcast though? Not maybe yet. It's to, I like, don't feel like right. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, weird. I don't know. I don't yeah. know why that is either. So who's clickbait then? It's grocery store Joe. It's Natasha Parker. Natasha Parker. Serena maybe is the third. No, she's happy hour. It's okay, she's Tia happy Booth. hour. Okay, so yeah, just, I think it's just Natasha and... I think it's Tia. Oh, Tia, yes, yes, yep. Tia's on it. And then happy hour is Kufrin and Pitt. Yeah. It looks like Pitt's not the permanent host. Oh, she was just Kufrin there for a week or two. Rotating. Yeah, I think, so. yeah. I think okay. so too. So what are your guys' thoughts on when a lead gets with their winner, you know, at the end, and then they split up and then they go back to someone on their season. You know, we saw this with Katie. We're seeing this now with Claire and Blake, who I adore Blake. So I'm so happy for him. I really hope this is like yeah. the real, real deal. But what what are your thoughts on that? We talked about this today because we were doing the Bachelor Nation news and we did uh, Claire and Blake. I love it. I think it's great. I yeah. think you go down the line. Why not? <laughs> Yeah. Go through the night one players, date them all. <laughs> Charlie O'Connell style. Oh I would love it if whoever the lead was, if this is Bachelor or Bachelorette, they just went down to like runner up, third place, fourth place, <laughs> fifth place, and they just keep yeah, dating down the line in order. That's what I want to see next. But I mean, this is, you know, something we talk about with some frequency is that once you're in the Bachelor world of dating, I think that experience going through that minefield this strange like you know it's almost like a cult there are elements of imprisonment they take away your phone they mm -hmm. screw with your sleep cycle they don't let you pee they don't let you poop per Taj Wan and uh yeah it, it messes with you and so I think like going through it really the only other people in the world who can truly understand you will be other people who have done it and I think it just cuts through a lot of the initial like stuff that you have to deal with in dating to be like, well, I'm this person. And these are the experiences I've had. You're both like, we survived that, right? Yep. It was crazy. And that's like the jumping off point for a relationship, trauma bonding, really. Right. I think it's like, it's surprising to me actually that it hasn't happened more often. I feel like it's got to be difficult to try and date outside of the bachelor world once you've been in it for, especially in some cases, you know, as long as some of these players have been who make repeated appearances on different seasons of bachelor bachelorette they go on paradise they go on winter games you know whatever kind of stuff they can get into but i'm all for it you know however you can find in quotes your person go for fair it fair game yeah yeah there's more bachelors who have married their runner-ups than who have right. married their ring winner right exactly and you got to think about it if they don't have control over say who stays for night one maybe they had their eye on someone and then they got eliminated right so they're like well hell maybe claire really thought blake was like hot stuff and and now she's like well now i kind of want to you know see yeah. where this goes or whatever so that makes sense totally yeah that we don't sense. mean to make it sound like the lead has no control. If a lead really feels strongly about keeping or sending a person home, I believe they have that power. Okay. Or giving out a rose of any kind. I think the lead can 
exert some kind of dominance in those situations. Yeah. But when you're looking at like, you know, let's say the lead even feels strongly about like four to five players. Okay. Well, in week one, even after you've eliminated 10 of the first 30, you still have 15 players that yeah. like they're like, yeah, I don't really care. And you get stuff like uh, you remember that guy, Lucas Yancey, Waboom. Oh, yes. Like he stayed through, I believe, three or four episodes, three episodes, yep. I think. And it's like, OK, because he was good television, right? Exactly. But that has nothing to do with finding love. It's, it's very mm -hmm. obvious the producers are just keeping him there for, in quotes, right. good TV. I mean, hello, Victoria Larson, you know? Yeah. Victoria Larson is a great example as well. She made it through half of that season. I don't know. I think they had strong chemistry. I think if Kirk Connell doesn't work out, I see a Victoria Murphy <laughs> love pairing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Oh. Well, one thing I love, too, in the book is that you guys summarize so beautifully every season, you know, from 1 to 25. And I love that. And, and I, I will caution, if you guys haven't seen every season, don't read that, obviously, because you're going to be, you know, spoiled. But um, I, I love that you guys did that. I think that was awesome. You really did take, like, an entire season and just put it in, like, a little paragraph of, like, the, you know, the, the bullet points. But did that so well. And it was kind of like a, a walk down memory lane for me because I just, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That did happen. And that is her name. And, you know, so I loved that so much. I really did. Oh, cool. We're, Thank we're you glad so you liked that. I, that I, definitely was uh that was one of the harder things to write that was a I'm lot of information sure. that we were like we have to distill this down into like an acceptable amount of page space and all that but we thought it was necessary to put the entire history of really what was yeah. important from each one of these seasons as the game was evolving in this yeah definitely now what are the odds that you guys will do a hyper binge of the bachelorette and write another book in the same type of format <laughs> <laughs> okay. lizzie we're just trying to get through this one right okay. now. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot of work. But luckily, Bachelorette has fewer seasons. Yeah. in Paradise has even fewer. So neither of those would be as difficult. We've definitely talked about it. Okay. And there is something that gnaws at you when you're like, I have so much knowledge of The Bachelor and its history, but yeah. The Bachelorette is not as, not as strong. So. Okay feel it's missing a little bit yeah yeah it, it really does boil down to time and again like lizzie was saying up top it was covid right in the very beginning so there wasn't a bachelor show on you right. know we were still doing our podcast but we were kind of talking about the things that we were writing about in the book so the podcast actually was helping us talk out the ideas and stuff like that and figure out you know what we were going to do with this but when you're really chained to the show when it's like, well, there's another episode coming out Monday. We have to do this recap and we have to do this. You're watching that show. And then do you also have time to watch 10 hours a day of the other seasons and stuff? You know, it's I feel like point. without the ability to to really focus in on it, it becomes difficult. But I do think, like Lizzie just said, it's necessary. Unfortunately, at some point we're going to have to. Yay! That's what I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> And then I have a proposition for you guys. After you've done The Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise, would you consider doing this for the Survivor uh, series? Hmm. I, I would definitely. I love Survivor. Yeah, maybe. I also can see like a Housewives version of this. Ooh. That to me is more interesting because Housewives okay. doesn't present itself as a game either. To me, the thing that's most interesting about Bachelor is that it lies. It's that foundational lie that this is not a game. And if you right. say it is, we'll punish you. But there is a ring winner. And last year, 
or on Michelle Young's season, we gave the ring winner and Michelle Young $200,000. There's a monetary prize for winning the game yes. that they gave out on live television. Yeah. But it's not a game. That, but Survivor <laughs> doesn't have that. Survivor openly says it is a game and that you're, you're competing in these game events and stuff. To me, that's like, it's just a little less interesting, I guess. I like that element of like, that you have to kind of trick people into believing you're not playing a game to be right. the best player of the game. So you think Real Housewives is a game as well? Totally. Yes. Really? Can you yeah. like summarize? I mean, I don't want to like, you know, steal your thunder on that. But I, I'm curious because I watch Real Housewives. And I never in a million years would have thought of it as a game. That's so interesting. Well, you notice that certain housewives come back and certain housewives don't. Right. Okay. And I would say the strategy would be becoming one of the most prominent housewives and having a longevity in the game and building your business. Okay. That Businesses. makes sense. Yeah. And I have theories of how best to do that. And it incorporates a lot of the same kind of things that are in The Bachelor, like third audience play, playing to the producers, fourth audience play to the, you know, there there is no real first audience play, I guess, in Housewives, but second audience play, especially if you're coming into a season that already has an established kind of queen of the show. Yeah. It's like, you better do exactly what you need to do to make that person want you to stay there. Because in some cases, I feel like at least the things I've read yeah. and seen, the players who like control the show, if they don't like you, you don't come back the next season. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Bethany Frankel is a great example of that, for sure. Yeah. You don't get along with Bethany, you're not, you're probably not coming back. So, I mean, in, in the early She's one days. of my favorites. She's amazing. I put a Bethany Frankel line in The Good Place. Did you? <laughs> Which is a show I worked on. <laughs> the Good Place? I love that show. Well, what was the line? It was Brandon Scott Jones saying that his, basically his main philosopher, I'm not going to, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like my favorite philosopher is Bethany Frankel, something like that. Okay. I love that. And she would say, I did one of a couple of her catchphrases. She has so many. It was mention it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys, this has been so much fun. I always love having you on. I am just so honored that, you know, I've been a part of this whole thing. And, and anytime you guys mention me, I just like, oh, my God, I fangirl so hard. So <laughs> just know that <laughs> so much admiration. So and I love what you guys do. You know, you're doing an incredible job with the show and even like the pitfalls. Oh, we didn't talk about that. Racism. You guys, you know, you you touched on that at the very end of the book. The way you summed it up, though, in the in the two seasons that it was really played very strongly. Right. I really liked the way that you that you talked about it and that you really said, look, this needs to change. These are things that, you know, can't be going on. And and the fact that it was so predominantly white in the beginning was is just we didn't even realize, right? Do we even realize at the time? I bet mm -hmm. when we we're watching it originally, I know I didn't. No. I certainly didn't. Like, I started watching when I was 12 and, like, didn't consider that at all until we started going back through it. And it was, like, very glaring. Yeah. We summarize it to the best of our ability, the history of it in that chapter, but it's by no means comprehensive. No, right. But And but there's you also, do like, we focused on racism, but there's also, you know, homophobia and ableism and sizeism and all of these things as well. I know. And then we just saw the ADHD, you know, situation play out um, 
here mm-hmm. recently and in this in this current season. So it's not going anywhere, clearly, you know, but I'm glad that yeah. you addressed it. Yep. It's definitely something that needs to be addressed. So I appreciate you using your voice and your platform to do that. So just want to say thank you for that. Yeah, there's clearly more work yep. to be done. I mean, they're keeping it in the edit, someone mocking someone for having ADHD. Right implicitly you're sort of mocking ADHD if you allow that to be in the show. Right. In my opinion. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think that that's something the fourth audience, some portion of the fourth audience might not quite understand. I think right now we're seeing the most toxic audience in bachelor history with all the death threats. As soon as you just get a villain edit, people get death threats, no matter Mm -hmm. what you do, no matter what, like Brennan Marias Mm -hmm. was getting death threats for talking about Instagram. Yeah. Like that's, in my opinion, unnecessary, but we're in that era. And I think it's like important to remember that. Yes. Maybe Brendan Rice talked about Instagram or these villains are doing whatever they're doing, but the producers are putting it in the show specifically to make you mad specifically to make you hate these people. Mm -hmm. This is a manipulation that the producers are doing on the fourth audience as well. And I'm not exonerating anybody for whatever they're saying, but it's important to keep in mind. I think that the producers are choosing to put this stuff on your television screen. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a good thing to point out for sure. So that's what I was saying. Thank you guys so much for being here. I just thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your time. <laughs> <laughs> for our benefit, you know, it's just um, sure. You guys are amazing, honestly. I, I look up to you so much, and I'm so glad Thanks we so much, to call you friends yeah. in, in, the, in the podcast world, in the Bachelor Nation world. So Absolutely. Let everyone know January 25th that it'll be released, mm-hmm. and how That's can right. they get it? You can go to howtowinthebachelor.com. We have a bunch of contests there that you can pre-order the book, and you can get autographed books. You can get T-shirts. You can get Zooms with me and Lizzie. You can get one very special prize, potentially, uh, that we cannot name. It's something that there is only one of in the world. You can also just pre-order the book anywhere you want to get it. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere that sells books, you can find it there. Perfect. And then, of course, you guys can listen to Game of Roses two and a half times a week. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) On all the platforms (laughs) out there. Please go follow them. They have incredible content as well. Um, courtesy of, of Grace Ann and uh, yeah you guys are just a powerhouse I really I love having you on please come back another time Anytime. love yeah. you guys so much thank you so much love you guys you. for for listening and uh, thanks so much Aaron. of course and uh, you know stay safe and always stay cozy till next time bye bye